0: Matthew 7, 13 to 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. For those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Well, there it is, the single shining of Christianity in proverbial form, a nice little proverb spoken with clarity in simplicity certainty and authority there's no compromise in those words there's only ultimatum Jesus is the narrow gate that leads to life an ultimatum that the few will believe and trust in that leads to their eternal blessedness Or an ultimatum that the many will refuse to tolerate that will lead to their destruction what a blessing these words are and what a challenge they are what is the ultimatum that our attitude toward jesus the messiah determines our eternal destiny because jesus is the narrow gate he's also the final arbiter of man's destiny so we're going to see shortly that this is a truth that's expressed throughout the scriptures, this idea of Jesus being the ultimatum. But let me give you a taste of that truth right now from the book of Jeremiah, who described our walk as an ultimatum. In Jeremiah 175 to 10 thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind, to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds." And so the truth is, this morning, that every living person is going to choose to enter one or the other of those two gates sometime during their lifetime. Where the choice to enter one gate will end in spiritual destruction, and the choice to enter the other gate will lead to a blessed eternal life. There it is, Jesus' uncompromising ultimatum. I don't think it's a popular ultimatum that much anymore. We don't hear a lot about it. People don't like to talk about destruction of people. It used to be a pretty popular item, though. For example, 22 years ago, Ian Murray, in the book Evangelicalism divided, said that this ultimatum is an essential truth of the scriptures. He wrote all the major differences in world views and world religions, which have been the subject of controversy, lead back to only two opposing starting points. Either Christianity is just another variation of human thought and imagination with no right to teach certainties. Or Christianity is the one God given means by which sinners are brought to Christ in heaven. He said the practical consequences are equally incompatible. Either one lives cursed, trusting in oneself, or one lives blessed, believing in Christ. The scriptures know no other alternative. It is either cursed is the man who trusts in man, or blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord." That's the nutshell of what Jesus is saying in Matthew seven, thirteen, and 14. And since the beginning of chapter 7, Jesus has been speaking to us about the necessity of judging correctly in terms of our comparing ourselves to other people. And here in verses 13 and 14 he transitions into commanding his disciples to choose correctly between entering two metaphorical gates again one gate that leads to life and another gate that leads to destruction two choices jesus has already made some serious implications in the sermon on the mount about the difficulties and the necessary requirements for entering God's kingdom as its citizens. He's been describing to his listeners the cost for them to enter the kingdom of God. His hearers are to look at the type and the kind of life that he is calling them to and to realize the seriousness of what that call entails. the thing that should awaken our senses about the kind of life he's calling us to is its narrowness. We don't get into the kingdom because we get lucky, folks. It's really more like we're just going about life and suddenly we find two gates confronting us. One of the gates is narrow. There are only a few who find it. That narrow road is the way along which I want you to walk, Jesus is saying. Can we turn this down just a little bit? Thank you. Throughout the sermon, he's been saying that the kingdom is for those who seek it with hearts that are truly focused on the reality of the person of God. God is to be understood as Our Father, who hears us when we pray to Him, who knows what we need before we ask it, who expects us to trust Him in everything. You can't enter the kingdom without first believing that God is who He says He is. You have to acknowledge the reality of who God is and then trust in Him completely. And Jesus went into no small detail to tell us that approaching God with any kind of pretense or hypocrisy automatically disqualifies us from entering his kingdom. Those are just two things that you need to leave behind when you enter the narrow gate. Pretense and hypocrisy. How do we know that? because pretentious and hypocritical people aren't broken over their sinfulness. There's a certain amount of agonizing about our sinfulness that has to take place in order to enter the gate to the kingdom. We'll see that more clearly in a moment. Jesus said the kingdom is for those who mourn in meekness, for those who hunger and thirst for Real righteousness that comes from God. For those who are broken in spirit and long for God to forgive them. Those are the people who enter the gate. And folks, you have to go through the gate by yourself. It doesn't matter what the many are saying and doing. You have to be agonizing over your sinfulness after you've correctly assessed the person of who God is. And you alone are responsible before God. He's your eternal judge. And the narrow gate brings us face to face with his person and his judgment and our eternal destiny. It's only when you've seen the true character of God and seen the true character of yourself in light of that and come with a broken spirit of repentance that you can enter into the kingdom through the narrow gate. And if you aren't willing to do that, you're probably going to be among those who are among the many who enter the broad and easy gate that leads to destruction. There's only two choices. Another thing you have to leave outside the gate before you walk in is worldliness. By walking through the narrow gate, you're breaking away from the world, the way of the world. You're heading in a different direction that's different from the many and the vast majority of people that are going there. You have to leave the way of the crowd. You have to leave the worldview of the crowd at the entrance to the narrow gate. You have to leave behind the things that please the world and the things that used to please your flesh. And so in our passage this morning, there are two gates, two roads, two destinations, and two groups of people labeled the few and the many. You know where the few go, don't they? They enter the gate that leads to life. And you know where the many go. They enter the gate that leads to destruction. And as we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount in the last few verses that we'll be covering in the weeks to come, we'll see that there are two builders and two houses and two foundations. And folks, the Bible distinctly clarifies that there are only two kinds of people. There are the regenerate and the unregenerate, the converted and the unconverted, sheep and goats, Christians and unbelievers, those in Christ and those outside of Christ, saved and unsaved, repentant and unrepentant, tares and wheat, sons of God and sons of disobedience. There's only two different kinds of people, the few and the many. The emphasis is on the narrow gate, which is the straight gate, Jesus said. It's not the straight in terms of its unswerving direction, A-I-G-H-T, but S-T-R-A-I-T. And that refers to the difficulty or the trouble you can expect as you walk that road. It's a gate that leads to dire straits. Jesus commands his disciples, enter here! Enter through the narrow gate because it leads a way to life and eternal happiness whose reward comes in the afterlife. But know that this narrow gate is straight. It's difficult, and it's troubling because of the restraints and the virtues that it requires of those who are going to enter it. You can't enter the narrow gate clothed with all your sins and your self-righteousness intact and all your false notions of who Christ is and you can't bring your immorality and your foolishness about what's true and what's not true with you. Just by the tone of Jesus' words, you realize this is a serious undertaking. These are considerations you must weigh and consider before you enter the narrow gate. This brief passage so reminds me of the personification of wisdom in the book of Proverbs, calling out to people everywhere to find wisdom. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom is man's starting point. Christianity isn't just an unverifiable leap into the dark. God is there for the knowing. And knowing him is the beginning of wisdom. That wisdom is observable everywhere, Proverbs says. Well, what does that mean? Jesus' words remind me of the constant refrain of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Open your eyes! Find me! Get discernment! I'm calling out to you from everywhere! Wisdom is out in the streets, it's in the shopping plazas, it's at the universities, it's at the place where you work, it's on the path to Multnomah Falls, it's on the golf course, it's at Disneyland, it's in your backyard, it's in your Bible, it's in the very words Jesus spoke in Matthew 7, 13, and 14. That's where wisdom is. Wisdom is out in the open for everyone to hear and see, calling to everyone who passes by to get wisdom so they can live appropriately. Christ is challenging us to get the wisdom to discern the difference between the narrow gate and the wide and easy gate. Wisdom is calling out for us to save ourselves from ourselves by obtaining God's wisdom and direction on how to live to avoid eternal destruction. That's just, that idea is just throw out Proverbs. For example, in Proverbs 9.6, wisdom is, fl- is pleading with us, forsake your folly and live, and proceed in the way of understanding. Proverbs continuously warns the simple-minded, not to be enticed by sinners because when they are enticed to do wrong they drift into temptations and sin to their ultimate hurt which as they walk the wide and easy path will lead to their destruction and ruin what challenging words those are that same idea is behind the message that the prophets were teaching as well Ezekiel eighteen twenty-seven to 28 said, when a, man, when a wicked man turns away from his wickedness, which he has committed, and practices justice and righteousness, he will save his life. Because he considered and turned away from all his transgressions, which he had committed, he shall surely live. He shall surely live, he shall not die. Entrance into the way of the kingdom begins here and now through a small gate onto the narrow way of persecution that comes to every disciple who follows after Jesus Christ. There's a reason why discipleship is narrow, it's restricting and narrow because it's the way of persecution and opposition. Remember Paul's exhortation to the early disciples? We must, through many hardships and tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Expect it. The saddest thing about this is that there are few who will find the narrow gate. There's another gate that Jesus mentioned. It's the wide gate, which is broad. It's inviting. It's spacious and accommodating. You can bring in anything you want in through that gate. No restrictions. Of course, it's implied that if you have any wisdom, you won't enter through the wide and easy gate because it's a gate that puts no restriction on immorality or wickedness, whose end is destruction. Wide and the broad gate leads the way to destruction. A better word: waste, loss, utter final ruination. This is the way to the loss of true and eternal heavenly life, which life begins on earth. When one becomes united to Christ by faith, it begins here, our eternal life. How unfortunate that this wide gate leads the way to eternal misery. Damnation, perdition, and hell. That's the idea of destruction. And the hopeless destiny of the finality of death. This is the way that appeals to majority opinion. This is the way that each person does when he's doing stuff that's right in his own eyes. This is the way, sadly, for all those who are excluded from the kingdom of God. And in spite of this incredible revelation, there are many who have chosen to enter through the wide and easy gate. Well, let me talk to you about one of the reasons why we believe what Jesus said. We believe the reality of the narrow gate and the broad gate only by revelation. We only know that there are two gates because Jesus revealed it to us in the scriptures. It's through revelation that we know the way of distress, trouble, and affliction begins after we pass through the narrow gate and begin to follow Jesus. Remember the the recipients of Peter's first epistle were pretty confused because before they came to faith they hadn't experienced distress and trouble and affliction from the world around them. They didn't know anything about it. Trouble only started happening to them after they believed. After they walked through the narrow gate and started following Jesus. I was thinking when I was studying this, wouldn't it be nice if there was a warning sign at the entrance to the narrow and the broad gate so we could really know? Imagine a person standing before a flashing neon sign indicating the entrances to two gates. What might it say? Stop! You're about to make a critical life choice. This is the narrow gate that leads to distress, persecution, trouble, and affliction during most of your life. Take it if you want to find eternal blessing. This is the broad and the easy gate that lots of people are taking. Come this way if you desire a life of ease filled with pleasure. It's free of restrictions. Take it if you want your life to end in destruction and misery. Wait, what? Folks, it's also by revelation that we recognize that God is calling the disciples of Jesus to follow him at any cost. It's only through revelation that the disciples of Jesus recognize that the only way they will ever be righteous and justified before a holy God is through discovering that Jesus himself is the narrow gate. Now we're getting somewhere, aren't we? Jesus said, I am the explicit way and the explicit truth and the explicit life no one comes to the father but through me john 8 24 said for unless you believe that i am he you shall die in your sins the apostle peter echoed those words when he said neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved acts 4:12. and so it's the united testimony of the new testament that no one can know god the father except through the person of jesus that's why he's the arbiter of everyone's final destiny but there's more to it once you begin to understand the entirety of the scriptures It's by revelation that God gives his disciples the faith to trust and believe this is the way to eternal life. We're not guessing. We believe it because God has revealed it to us. It's only by revelation that the disciples of Jesus believe and trust that it is God who preserves them along the way, along the path of distress and trouble and affliction so that they persevere for their entire life along that path. Praise God! And so it's only by revelation that we understand that Jesus is confirming for his disciples that nothing worse could befall a man than not to enter the narrow gate that leads to affliction, distress, and persecution, because that is the only way to find true life. that's why only believers are attracted and compelled to enter the narrow gate of persecution trouble and affliction that leads to life well i want to talk to you for a moment about what it means to strive to enter the narrow gate matthew didn't say that but luke in his passage did use that word and i want to make a make sure we understand what that distinction is so matthew says enter by the narrow gate, he uses an aorist imperative. An imperative is a command. But the aorist aspect means to enter the narrow gate immediately. And to step into the narrow gate takes only but a moment. But do it right away. Let me help you understand that a little bit more clearly. In the Lord's prayer, Jesus is teaching his disciples to petition the Lord in prayer with aorist imperatives. You could translate the lord's prayer this way give us this moment our daily bread how would be thy name right now thy will be done immediately forgive us our trespasses now once and for all and so the use of an aorist imperative conveys the sense of urgency calling for immediate and effective action And so Jesus is saying, enter the narrow gate now. Don't delay or procrastinate this decision. That choice could end in eternal destruction. Don't just nod your head, admiring the principles of the Sermon on the Mount. Take me seriously when I say to you, entering the wrong gate leads to eternal destruction. There's an immediacy in this tense. When used with commands, it's always pressing and urgent. You must enter the gate now, Jesus is saying. Now, in Luke, Jesus says, strive with earnestness to enter through the gate. He uses the present imperative, keep striving to enter the narrow gate, Striving is the word agonizomai. I'm sure you can guess what word we get from that, agony. Keep struggling, keep fighting, keep endeavoring with strenuous zeal to enter the narrow gate. But then when you begin to think about it, isn't entering the gate just a one-time event? You walk through the gate and you've entered it. So how should we understand this idea of striving to enter the narrow gate that luke says jesus said you're not striving to find it apparently only to enter it and as i've thought about this i think what luke is saying is that this continued striving is the command to keep striving to overcome whatever it is that's keeping us from entering the narrow gate and following jesus Overcome all those things that are preventing you from entering the the narrow gate. So strive to enter the narrow gate, expecting there to be struggle with dangers and annoyances and obstacles and hindrances, burdens that are standing in the way of faith and holiness. Now, any list that might include things that could keep us from entering the narrow gate would be hard to exhaust. Think about it in your own life. But let's just mention a few of the bigger issues. What fleshly inclinations are keeping people from entering the narrow gate? Is it their pride that they're they're too good to enter any kind of gate? Proverbs 16, 5 says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Is it their love for sin that keeps them from entering the narrow gate? Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore let us lay aside every weight, every heavy burden, every impediment, and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So, we're looking to Jesus amid all the burdens and the encumbrances and the impediments and the hindrances that surround us, all those things that beset us and hinder us from entering the narrow gate. I think this striving is a call to discover and then renounce every doubt we carry with us that gets in the way of us entering the gate that follows after Jesus. Strive in that sense, get rid of the hindrances. There might be a few more items to add to that list. You can hear people asking this question, is it really worth it to be obedient to this? What do I have to give up? Why are so many people following the broad way if it's the gate that leads to destruction? Here's a good one. Is that really fair that so many are going to end in destruction? What kinds of things that I currently love will I have to set aside in order to walk through the narrow gate? Can I persevere under this supposed distress and persecution and tribulation that I'll find along the way? There's a lot of things to weigh out before one enters the narrow gate. Here's a good one, too. How do I know for sure that Jesus is the one who's telling the truth? I was on a Facebook post and We're talking about this, and one person wrote, Oprah Winfrey said Jesus couldn't possibly be the only way, and she's really smart. Those are all things we need to weigh out in our own hearts before we can really commit to following after Jesus. And at the heart of all these questions, you have to believe that what the Bible records Jesus as saying about the narrow and broad way is the truth. You have to believe that before you can walk through the gate. And if you don't really believe that, then the the alternative according to Jesus is you're going to take the road that Jesus says leads to destruction, perishing, and misery. Back at the beginning of the sermon I said that I wanted to explore this notion of Jesus being the final arbiter of the destiny of men a little bit more. And I want to share a couple of verses with you that testify that Jesus is the ultimatum for every choice. There's some real obvious ones, like John three thirty-six: He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. And so the difference between everlasting life and everlasting ruin with the wrath of God abiding on a person is whether or not they believe in Jesus. Luke 234, that's a great little passage. Remember, it's when Mary and Joseph walk into the temple, and Simeon is there, and Simeon, Simeon says to Mary, Behold, this child is destined, he's, he's been placed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against, that their inward reasonings about what they believe is true may be revealed." God has determined that Jesus has two set purposes according to this passage. Jesus will bring about the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and he will be a sign which will be spoken against. Jesus is going to be set conclusively and authoritatively to be a stumbling stone throughout all of history. Some will recognize Jesus and walk through the narrow gate to follow him, and others will strike against that stone, and it will bring ruin, the loss of salvation, and utter misery upon themselves. Jesus is not only the savior of those who believe, but he's also the divinely meted out blow that is fatal and disastrous to any who do not believe. Jesus is going to be a heavy adversary, listen to this, to those who choose to walk the wide and broad path. Jesus is going to be their excuse for choosing to walk the wide and broad path. Think of that. Jesus is going to so antagonize those who choose the broad path that many will be completely opposed to him they will speak against him and they will contradict him and deny the truth of who he is another great one is matthew eleven seven, 7 blessed is he who is not offended because of me offended is the transliteration of the word scandalized blessed is the man who's not appalled who's not outraged who's not disgusted in me blessed is the man who does not stumble and fall away because of me or my teaching blessed is he who does not begin to distrust and desert me (coughs) because every man has two choices doesn't he And Jesus is saying, you ought to trust me and you ought to obey me and be blessed. But many will be offended and deny me and be cursed. And finally in Romans 9, 32, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. There's a good reason to follow Jesus. You won't be disgraced or humiliated following after Jesus. You won't be deceived by a false hope. You won't be eternally disappointed. There are those who will choose to disobey and rebel and be disloyal to the truth, and those who won't allow themselves to be persuaded, those who won't comply and adhere to the qualifications necessary to uh, enter the gate the narrow gate will be disappointed and so they see jesus as someone to be despised and rejected who walk the wide and broad path and by that crime they bring upon themselves wretchedness and punishment the scriptures say throughout that's the reality It's our own sin that hardens our hearts against believing the gospel. And since no man is ever excluded from calling on God, the gate of salvation is open to everyone. There's nothing else to hinder us from entering the narrow gate but our own unbelief. The reason why the road... And the way to destruction is so broad is because so few will come to Christ that they may have life, deciding rather to perish in their sins. So what is the ultimatum? That our attitude toward Jesus the Messiah determines our eternal destination. Because Jesus is the narrow gate, he's also the final arbiter of man's destiny. Let me pray for us. Father, the words which we heard this morning are troubling and challenging. And I pray that everyone who's attending here and watching online would consider the reality and the truthfulness of your words and think and be careful about making a choice to enter the narrow gate. Father, as we continue to worship and pray, as we take an opportunity to encourage each other afterwards, I pray that you bless the rest of our time and bless our hearts as we consider the value and the truthfulness in the words which Jesus spoke in Matthew 7, 13, and 14. We thank you for this opportunity to continue, and we pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.